Hey guys, my name is Jordan Koss. Welcome to the Almost Essential Podcast. This 16-episode series is based off my final project for my Doctorate of Ministry degree at Fuller Theological Seminary. The title of that final project is Almost Essential Evangelists, Improving Retirement Asset Accumulation for Mainstream Church of Christ Pastors. In this series, we will interview eight different specialists in eight separate episodes. And we will also interview two pastors from each of eight different regions around the U.S. This final project was inspired by 10 years of ministry in three different churches of Christ from Georgia to Northern California from 2010 to 2019, as well as my time as a financial professional in training in 2020. That is where I learned about the retirement crisis America is in and will be experiencing in the coming years. Now, I have three goals for this podcast. One, provide an accessible, denomination-specific qualitative conversation for Church of Christ pastors and leaders. Two, introduce leaders and listeners to retirement vehicles and strategies they may not have heard about before. And three, provide encouragement, motivation, and knowledge to save for the last third of life. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Okay, everyone, welcome back. This is episode four of the Almost Essential podcast. My name is Jordan Koss. I am your host, and I'm here along with uh, my co-host, Lars Coburn. Lars, introduce yourself a little bit, bud. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's been fun to be on this journey and now get to uh, have one of my friends, uh, one of our mutual friends, Dusty Breeding on. I think Jordan and I uh, talked about this initially. He said, do you want to be the co-host? And I said, yeah. And I've got a guy that I think we need to interview, um, Dusty. <laughs> yeah. So um, doing youth ministry in SoCal, I got to meet Dusty and wanted to be just like Dusty. So um, <laughs> uh, now there's some elements, you know, of his life that I'm, I'm, I'm drawn to too. But, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, we'll, we're going to get into that. And I'm looking forward to just hearing uh, more uh, wisdom that we get to talk about on this almost essential podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so uh, Dusty is our special guest with us today. So Dusty, go ahead and introduce yourselves to our viewers and our listeners who don't know you yet. Sure. Uh, My name is Dusty Breeding. Um, I'm 37 years old and uh, I uh, have been and was a pastor, uh, a minister at at a a church for the last decade, uh, working with students and college students and um, youth, youth group and college students. And uh, in recent years, um, about, well, I guess 18 months ago, I quit my job and uh, have started new adventures and new pursuits. And, um, and I'm excited to, to, to talk more about uh, some of that here today. Um, okay. My wife and I run a company called the Skull and Bones Society, uh, okay. which is a growth and development and coaching business, nice. uh, working with clients all over the country with from all different backgrounds on uh, helping people live with the end in mind and live intentionally and yeah. uh, what and how that impacts all different areas of life. All right. Great, man. That's great. Now, I know you. Uh, you also are into CrossFit, correct? I am. I uh, I, I have coached CrossFit. Uh, mm-hmm. I started a CrossFit program at Pepperdine uh, years nice. ago, and it is it is both a hobby and has been a source of income, a stream mm-hmm. of income for me at various times through, throughout yeah. my life. And uh, just absolutely love moving my body. That's great. I know, I remember the first time I met you, it was that uh, the meeting where all the youth ministers from California met down at that ship in uh, LA and you, that one morning, let everybody on like a small CrossFit workout. I I bowed out. Um <laughs> But in 2019, I started CrossFit and it got me in the great shape. So yay, CrossFit. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Stone day was always the best part of team camp. Um, uh, you know, when you were team camp director, we used to, that was always a good memory. There's some photos <laughs> of us on social media, I'm sure somewhere out there holding yeah. the rock. Always good times. And, you know, fitness is such a great analogy to life, but mm-hmm. uh, also to finances. And we'll, we'll talk more about that, I think, in our conversation today, but just mm-hmm, uh, totally. about the way discipline uh, over time creates results. Okay, great, great, great. So let's go ahead and jump into the conversation and questions. Uh, first off, just uh, tell us about how you came to be a financial coach. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, let me start uh, back in my hometown. I, I grew up in a rural community in Indiana, a small farm town. Um, I was not a farmer. I know nothing about farming, but the the, the, the surrounding area is filled with with farms, dairy farms, Indiana. And, and, yeah. yeah. in Indiana. And uh, um, so that was my upbringing. Um, it was cool. rural poverty. Um, I grew mm. up in a gov government subsidized housing project, actually, okay. and uh, at various points throughout my childhood, my family was at or below the poverty line, okay. um, and uh, uh, we hovered at that line throughout my entire life, and um, I have a lot of memories, a lot of great memories from my childhood, and one of them uh, specifically relating to our financial situation was uh, a moment when my, my dad had lost his job, and we were struggling to to have food uh, in the house. And I remember our church uh, showing up and delivering some food on our doorstep. And uh, that I think did a couple things for me. It, it established for me the importance of Christian community, the importance of that. And, okay. um, and also uh, I think inspired in me a desire to never be in that situation again and support others uh, to make sure yeah. that they aren't either. Um, I had a great childhood, though. I my parents gave me everything that you could imagine you would need to mm -hmm. to develop well. So uh, no critique there. Yeah. Um, a, a lot of their financial struggles uh, were related to circumstances of life, and mm -hmm. uh, they utilized credit cards uh, to yeah. get get by. And so I learned that method. I uh, okay. I used the credit card anytime I needed it or wanted it. Um, that led to a lot of. Uh, poor decision making financially. Okay. Uh, one of the stories I love to tell is when I became a college student, uh, and they were offering me a student loan package. Uh, they they told me the amount that I needed, and then they said that I could take an additional amount to cover <laughs> the rent or to cover you know um, food oh, no. or things like that. And yeah. I took that money and I went and I bought a Jeep Wrangler. Oh man! Oh, that's where the Jeep came from. Okay, that's that. That was my first Jeep, uh, and uh, that was a bad financial decision, but it's <laughs> indicative of the way I I handled money. Um, then when I started dating my wife, we started doing some premarital counseling and in the conversation with our, our therapist, uh, we had done an assessment, a compatibility assessment, and mm -hmm. that assessment revealed that she and I had drastically different views on money yeah. and we had not crossed that bridge yet. We didn't, we hadn't really talked much about that. And, uh, he indicated to us that that's a big deal because, uh, money is one of the leading causes for divorce or, or disagreements over, over money. Yeah. leading cause for divorce. And so that inspired us to get this dialed in. Mm -hmm. um, about a year after we got married, we uh, we were living in Kenya, working with street kids in the sun okay. in Nairobi uh, through a ministry called Made in the Streets. Yeah. And uh, realized that we needed to get our finances in line. And that's where a family friend told us about the Dave Ramsey Total Money Makeover book. Okay. I downloaded it on my Kindle while we were living um, outside of Nairobi, and we read it in a few days, and that changed the the course of our 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 life, our financial life for sure. Okay, awesome, awesome. Yeah, that's, so that's kind of a an overview. Yeah, no, yeah. it's awesome. I'm a I'm a mid Midwest kid as well, born and raised South Detroit. Journey song, you know. Awesome. Um, yeah. So, what town in Indiana was it? Yeah, it's a town called Andrews. So, okay. um, northeast Indiana, uh, about 45 minutes south of Fort Wayne. Is where okay. I'm from. Yeah, awesome. That's great. Large yeah, and we're in Detroit. You said what? What side? It was a uh, downriver. It was uh, Allen Park. Allen Park, downriver suburb. Yeah. Cool. We uh, we own a couple of rental properties in Detroit now, so I'm okay. always curious about that area. So you have to tell me uh, tell me if you have any good tips on on okay. where where good 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 areas are. Yeah. Do you? I, do you oh, go ahead, Lars. Yeah. I've got the tip for you. I'm not the Detroit <laughs> tip, but the tip that I've heard from investing in, in homes is uh, Costco. Costco mm. does this immense research on developing communities. And they, when they build a warehouse or locate a warehouse, they've done a tremendous like uh, forecast for the population growth and kind of the, the community. And so one of my uh, friends who's an investor in real estate has been talking about how Costco can be one of those cheat sheet things That's as cool. you look at a community because they're doing all of that work uh, much more than you could maybe on your own. Oh. Um, but Jordan yeah. has more of the actual geography. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's a good tip though. That, that's a great tip. Yeah, yeah. 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 Do you, now do you own your properties in Detroit, the city itself 
Is that where you own those properties or in the metro area? Metro area, they're okay. uh, uh, they're on the west side in a okay. in a suburb um, gotcha. outside of uh, of Detroit. Uh, nice. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. You know, I know back in uh, 2008 or nine, Time Magazine did like a year long like piece about the city of Detroit, and and so that uh, the, you know Detroit is actually the third largest in terms of square mileage city in the country, and mm. because they lost so much of a population base because of white flight. They, they, you know, the tax base couldn't support that large of a city, so they would shut certain sections of the city down in terms of water and and light and serve other services. And so, it's uh, hopeful. Hope I I have hope for the city of Detroit and kind of making a, a comeback like other cities have. But yeah, um, we do yeah. as well, and we we uh, we believe in Detroit and in our experience there. Uh, it is very much block by block. You hear people say that, like you can yeah. drive through an area that is um, uh, where there are literally houses that look like they've been bombed out yeah. and then you go a couple blocks in the other direction and there's a really nice community. So it is uh, it's a unique area, but we think it has great history as a city. Oh yeah, um, totally. I think it's a, a, a great location um, for, for potential for growth. So we've, we've enjoyed having a connection there over the last five years or so. Yeah. And good pizza too. If you never had Detroit style pizza, man, you got to try it. I haven't. That is such a good <laughs> tip. I have not yet. We'll have to do that when we, when we go visit. Yeah. Buddies, you got to go to buddies. That's what I hear. Okay. All cool. right. All right. Second question. What is your own personal approach to accumulating assets for retirement? And what do you typically advise your clients to do? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a great question. Um, and I, I would say that what I do is the foundation for also what I recommend my coaching clients as well uh, with some nuances. Everyone's financial situation is, is, is very personal um, both their, their, the, the dollars and cents, but also their values uh, related mm. to that. And so I, I believe there are some principles that are great for everyone, uh, but I think there's a lot of nuance and a lot of room for freedom and creativity yeah. and flexibility within that. Uh, and I would say the way that my wife and I have approached our finances over the last decade uh, is, first of all, from a position of being lifelong learners. Uh, mm -hmm. Neither she nor I had great financial training or wisdom. Uh, we had a lot yeah. of work to do. We had a lot to learn. And mm -hmm. I today, a, a decade into this journey, have a lot to learn. And I consider yeah. myself a, a learner. Um, I, I think a, a few things that have been principles for us is to live below our means. Uh, right. I think that is a, an abiding principle that we have chosen to live by and is a framework for everything we do. So at a foundational mm -hmm. level, uh, we spend less than we earn, and we do that every month and have for the last decade. Mm -hmm. uh, another principle and another process that we live by is uh, paying off our debt and living debt-free. Uh, we yeah. have been debt-free for a decade. Uh, it is a commitment that we have made to one another that we won't take on debt. Um, all the rental properties we own, we own them outright. We pay cash for them. Uh, all of our vehicles we own, we pay cash for them. Uh, nice. We, it is, it is our commitment to one another to continue that that journey and that process. I don't know that, or I don't think that that is the only way uh, sure. to do investing and to do uh, rental properties. That is just a, a personal choice that that we have chosen. Sure. Um, more specifically, uh, we we try to max out uh, all of the matches that we would get from any companies that we have uh, or mm -hmm. do work for. Uh, then we next we would max out any tax deferred. Uh, retirement accounts. And then after that, then we start to consider additional options, whether it be uh, mutual funds or, uh, you know, building a, a stock portfolio of, of funds um, or uh, rental properties. And we kind of balance and do a little bit uh, of both. Mm -hmm. And uh, our, maybe our system is to create, you know, multiple streams of income. Uh, it's a very common term these days, but to create yeah. Uh, income coming in from different sources to create a little bit of resilience. So you're not, so everything's not in one particular area. Right. So that's, that's basically what I guide my clients to do. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not a get rich quick guy. I don't, yeah. I'm not inspired by people uh, who are uh, uh, teaching that. Um, I don't mm -hmm. think that it, first of all, I don't think it is the safest route to pursue. Um, mm -hmm. And also, I would say that wealth is not a goal of mine. Mm -hmm. Instead, I would say wealth has been a byproduct of discipline and pursuit right. of living well in a lot of different areas. And so when I work with clients, I'm not particularly interested in helping them 
be wealthy just to be wealthy, one mm -hmm. of my first questions I ask is, uh, why do you want more money? Why do you want a bigger retirement account? Um, and uh, how much is enough? How, how will you know when you've reached the right amount? Now, that might include building wealth. I'm not opposed to building wealth, uh, but but simply the pursuit of money to have more is not something that I pursue, nor do I do I teach. Um, okay. I would say another part of my practice is helping people clarify their goals. So okay. what what do you want to do with the money that you have? Um, are you doing that now? Uh, a lot of times I've found that uh, clients or people I work with have a vision of what they think they will do when they have a certain amount of money but they're not engaging in those hobbies or practices or lifestyles now. And so sometimes it's a, it's clarifying like, Hey, maybe, maybe that's not really what they do want. Or maybe it's clarifying that, uh, you know, you can explore today with a little bit, what you desire to do later with, with more. Mm -hmm. So that's uh, several of the, uh, the things that I, I focus on in my coaching. That's great. Lars, do you have uh, any follow-up to that? Well, I mean, as we've talked um, before, Dusty, about values and stuff, you've talked about the value of freedom. And as I think a little bit with we're focusing on pastors and things, I think there's a, a, a story, a narrative that comes through uh, where we get a little dependent, a little um, we're driven to sometimes stay in ministry longer out of this anxiety. Can we do something else? Um mm -hmm. We might have things, uh, whether it's health insurance plans or minister housing allowance, or, I mean, you guys had a beautiful house looking out over the ocean. Um, there's things that pull us back in um, that, that are sometimes not in line with our values, right? And, um, and so as we're talking about this issue of retirement and things, I think not just talking about the vehicle of retirement being broken, but also our way of imagining what retirement's purpose is. So mm -hmm. the values yeah. come in, I think, and mm -hmm. are really huge. And as I talk to you more and more, and as I you know read some stuff that you're putting out from School and Bone Society, uh, I'm again reminded that it's really not about how much you have in the bank or what job title you have or how much money you're making, um, but are you able to live into your values? And... Um, and that's really helpful for people to kind of think through before they get all the, the other stuff out of the way. Um, because why do you need the retirement? And we've talked about this in a previous episode or two, uh, touched on it, this idea that we want to be useful or we want um, when we run out of being useful to our church, right? When we're no longer able to maybe cognitively deliver a sermon or uh, run a youth group camp, uh, churches should care for us and we should be able to live out our life and live into our values beyond our quote unquote useful days. And, um, so I love that idea of keeping the end in mind and I'd encourage mm -hmm. people to, um, you know, follow Dusty on, uh, Instagram. He's got mm -hmm. some, some good thoughtful reflection questions for you guys. Um, and, uh, and that's a better use of your social media scrolling time than some of the other <laughs> stuff out there. Yeah. I, well, I go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, Lars, that reminded me of something that um, that my wife and I talk about regularly, that I don't know that I can make a biblical or theological case for retirement. I, I'm, I'm not okay. convinced that there's anything <laughs> in the text that, that yeah. says this is a biblical uh, thing. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it is a modern creation. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's wrong, um, but, but neither my wife nor I actually plan on doing what Americans might call retiring. Um, yeah. I, I don't envision ever a day in my life where I am not working or contributing to society and yeah. and being financially compensated for it in some way. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, maybe when I'm seventy and I, you know I, I may change my my tune on that. But uh, I do think that there's an un, unhealthy narrative of of work, crush it you know, oh, yeah. break your back until you hit 65. And then, then you get to sit on the beach and relax. And uh, I don't think that's yeah. biblical. Um, yeah. And I, mm -hmm. I don't think that's necessarily life giving. Right. Yeah. Um, the idea of retirement as withdrawal and or vacation is definitely not a biblical concept, very negative concept. And, um, and I think that that perhaps sometimes, um, maybe for me, maybe for others, 
causes us to view saving for retirement in a negative way. So is there a way that you frame retirement that can help free up people to say, no, it is important to save for this thing we call retirement? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, I, I'm I'm often reminded of uh, one of my favorite quotes from uh, Richard Foster, who wrote Celebration of Discipline. Um, he says, uh, uh, every freedom has its corresponding, every discipline has its corresponding freedom. Every discipline has its corresponding freedom. And and the sentiment in this conversation is I see uh, setting aside a little bit today as a process of discipline that is rooted in, in wisdom. Um, there's, uh, you, you, you all know Proverbs has such deep wisdom mm-hmm. and, and there's, there's, there is a way to pursue wisdom financially. And I think being disciplined with a little bit uh, provides uh, freedom um, later in life. And so from my perspective, I'm, I'm a big proponent of starting early and, mm-hmm. and, and doing it in, in, a, in a manageable way that doesn't become your life obsession. Um, that simply becomes like brushing your teeth. I, I want people's mm. uh, wealth building pursuits to be as structured and as simple and occupy as much time uh, in their life as, as regular rhythms of the day. Uh, so that when they reach a point later in life, um, they have the the freedom to to choose to do things with their day and with their time that they feel is most meaningful and aligned with their values and who God has crafted them to be. So that's mm-hmm. the way I frame it. Uh, I, I think I think it is a righteous path. I, I don't think mm-hmm. re- saving. Obviously, I'm saving for retirement. I don't think there's anything sinful or wrong about wealth building oh. or or <laughs> saving. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think maybe what space it occupies in your heart and in your mind is really important. Right. What, I, I make like five assumptions in the introduction to my paper so far. And, and one of them is, let's, okay, so the stereotypical view about of retirement as withdrawal and vacation. Okay, we all know that's wrong. Right. Let's let's reframe it. And, and one author says the third age, where we're able to live out our values and yeah. live into this, you know, being a Christian, the way we're able to be this last third of life. All right. A lot of, uh, and what I found was interesting, a lot of like theology books don't dive into the subject of retirement, mm-hmm. um, specifically ones dedicated to talking about money and possessions. They might mm-hmm. touch on it at service level, but they don't dive in and really discuss it. And that was like a, a surprise and also a disappointment. So the one way I, I thought I, I've seen others approach this subject that I kind of, you know, kind of like explored in my theology chapter was looking at retirement by means of the uh, Jubilee and the mm-hmm. Nazareth Manifesto. John Mark Hicks talks about that. And uh, Ben Withering talks about that. And even uh, uh, Walter Brueggemann kind of talks about that as well. Now they don't dive into it by me in terms of the topic of retirement, but right. I think there's a correlation there. Um, any like thought that. on that? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting thought. Um, in fact, um, that that concept uh, a year of jubilee inspired my request for a sabbatical from my 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 ministry role several years ago as my mm. wife and I were reflecting on just the the importance of 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 sabbath and this beautiful concept of the year of jubilee it inspired us to make the request to to do a sabbatical and uh um that was super life-giving so i I, I love that concept. I think that uh, is a great foundation for uh, a pursuit of retirement, um, mm-hmm. of, of leaning into that. So yeah, I like that. That's Sweet. super cool. All right. Lars, anything before we move on to the next question? Well, you know, I, as we're talking about this, um, reframing the pursuit of retirement, I, I just keep coming back to what we were talking with John Mark Hicks in the previous episode about the role of the evangelist, the role of in our movement, uh, a less, a desire for a less centered, um, you know, pastor who has to be tied to one particular congregation. And I think the, uh, the, the value of freedom often allows us to be free, not just financially to spend on what we want or to go on trips or vacations like the, you know, we're not just going to get to go on the freedom of a cruise, but we're going to have freedom to bless and to speak and to minister to churches and people um, in new ways and fresh ways and um, freedom again to plug back into the body of Christ in new ways. I think about some of the stuff you shared, Dusty, about your church there in Malibu and how you're still involved, you know, 
And I think too often uh, ministers, they do break their back and get crushed and want nothing to do with their community of faith once they're done. And yet the kind of early, uh, maybe not retirement that you're in, obviously, but this freedom that you are in to no longer take a paycheck has actually allowed you to have a different kind of freedom uh, of being involved in the body of Christ locally there sure. and um, and broader, right? Your your work um, in, in the broader community, your work uh, in uh, the, the Army, uh, right. National Guard and all that. So, you know, I, I just I wonder if there's some some connections there, too, about just a flip of our imagination. Yep. where retirement or savings like this allows us to be more free in the way we use our gifts. Uh, we're not tied to a, a job description that a church specifically needs um, anymore, but we're still uh, connected to the body of Christ in that way. Yeah. yeah and I think you could uh, explore the, the, the theological implications of what uh, um, discipline and freedom look like in, in, in relation to uh, a Christian's connection with God, right? So the the more attachments we have to structures of this world, is it possible that the less uh, attachments we're able to have to 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 God or God's direction in our life? And um, I, I don't necessarily think of my actions or decisions like this, but I think you could probably make a make a case that um, the more shackles we have to to structures or systems of this world whether that be a job or whether that be um you know uh a a community um or even the church right like if you are obsessed or or uh, or or your your life is committed to serving institution it's possible that you're maybe you're not serving god in the same way that you could be if you had more freedom in your in your life in that way okay yeah, nice, nice. Let's move on to this third question, uh, and that is related to uh, James Knapp's two studies on Church of Christ ministers in Texas and in nationally, and he found that COC pastors um, were over-reliant on Social Security and IRAs, like over 50% of the participants, um, these, this is, these are the only vehicles that they were going to use as retirement income to draw from in retirement, but as a result of that over-reliance, you could say they... Uh, they had no plan to retire yet. Many of them did not, uh, on top of maybe working for a small church and therefore a low salary and maybe even living in a parsonage, which is uh, negatively affects your retirement planning. Like, how? What would you uh, advise, like a COC pastor in that situation, to do? Yeah, well, I, I think uh, you know I lived it right in the sense that you know yeah. I worked for a Church of Christ and. I actually remember one of my first interviews that I had uh, before I took the job that I worked at for a decade. Uh, mm -hmm. I got to the the end, and we mm -hmm. they basically were offering me a position, and they were offering a thirty six thousand uh, dollar salary with no benefits, no no anything. And uh, oh, wow. I I I was not you know I wasn't angry or offended. I just said, this is not realistic, right? I mean, when you, when you start looking at that and you start taking taxes out, I mean, you're, you're living almost at the poverty line. Yeah. Um, and so I think, uh, you know, in, in a situation like that, when a, when a church is not providing any sort of benefits, it's a, it's a very, very, uh, very difficult situation to, to even consider retirement. Yeah. Um, and the the idea of over reliance on social security and, and IRAs, I'm not convinced that that is only a Church of Christ issue. Right. Like I think, oh no, you know, the the data you show in your in your research shows like this is a this is a national challenge, right? Like people mm -hmm. are not prepared for uh, for what we call retirement. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I do think that part of it in Churches of Christ is income related. I think it's an income mm -hmm. issue for a lot of ministers. Yeah. Uh, if a church is doing any sort of retirement uh, IRA package, but you're not making very much, a percentage of your income is not very much. Right. Um, but I also think there's uh, an unfortunate reality that a lot of uh, retirement and, and investing issues are, are personal spending habits and personal spending issues. Yeah. Um, so I think that's an element that we don't talk enough about. I do think that there's a knowledge challenge as well. I think we are, as a society, are not well educated on how to manage money. 
Uh, right. I think that is in part due to the secrecy of money, uh, you know, not mm-hmm. talking about salaries, not mm-hmm. not talking about uh, ways to to incrementally build wealth. Um, mm-hmm. I think that is a poverty of knowledge that yeah. that exists. Um, and I also think part of it is a long term goals issue, just just not clarifying, not taking the time or having having the discipline to look ahead to the future and and envision uh, what what life would be like and how you can prepare to to enter that stage well yeah yeah and if, if you don't mind me asking what region of the country was that church that gave you that offer before you got to malibu yeah it was in the midwest midwest okay you know that makes sense that makes sense all right um anything any follow-up there lars on that well i just i think you know we're also thinking about pastors and elderships and others that might be tuning into these things you know we don't have to reinvent the wheel when it comes to some of this stuff um, a school district around you, the public school district has a published step and grade plan. They have the benefits package. They've done the research to say, what does it take to have someone live in this community and work in this community? And so, you know, following your local school district, I often want to advocate that we should be better than the school district um, if we want to care for our, our pastors well and um, and communicate care as kind of as a justice thing. Um, if they're going to be caring for the community, uh, we should be caring for them well. And that probably means a little bit better than the school district. Um, otherwise, you know, we're, we're asking them to do uh, kind of to take a vow of poverty. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I'm not sure that that's uh, super biblical. And then the mm-hmm. other thing I would just say is as Dusty, you're kind of uh, a good example of this. I think we'll get into it, but the idea of bivocational ministry um, is not a bad thing. And Mm -hmm. so I think if you're a pastor in this situation that we've just described, talk to your eldership. If they can't uh, offer you a better package, ask them to reduce your hour commitment. So they keep the same salary amount, but offer you the chance to work vocationally somewhere else as in addition. Um, Then you might be bringing home, in fact, above the average salary and um and actually it might be a great gift to your church yeah mm-hmm. lords on that note my my decade was spent working at the university church of christ at pepperdine and mm-hmm. uh when the elders were building salary packages for for staff years and years and years ago uh rather than reinvent the wheel they essentially just copied the structure and format that the university uses for for its staff Interesting. Um, and so I, I think what you're suggesting is super wise i think that that make sure that a minister's structure is is um is reflective of the the congregation and the community and it also provides uh, usually some decent structure for retirement and things like that i like it great 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 that's awesome that's a good idea for others to kind of emulate um question four were you aware of uh, gillarducci's argument about a diy retirement crisis already and what are your thoughts about her argument about traditional retirement vehicles? Yeah, I'm. I'm not. I, I wasn't familiar until I read your 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 writing. Um, yeah. So I'm not familiar. Um, I fully agree that there is a, you know, retirement crisis. Uh, mm-hmm. I think people are are reaching that stage of life, and all of the stats show uh, they're not mm-hmm. financially prepared um, to to do anything above a mere existence. Um, I also think just a little caveat here. I also don't think merely existing is wrong. I don't think it's mm. necessarily morally wrong. Right. Um, I, I do think that that um, having enough to pay your bills and feed yourself is best for society. But but I also don't think having uh, having more than that and excess is is a is a moral responsibility or a moral requirement um uh this book is old now but the the book when helping hurts you know i, I think mm-hmm. really yeah. reframe my understanding of how how we approach um societal problems and if we think of it in terms of money money's always going to be the answer um mm-hmm. but in my personal experience of growing up in in poverty um a little more money would have brought some security. That would have been really nice. Mm-hmm. But I actually had everything else that I think was more important in my formation. And yeah. so I don't want to, I don't want to convey the mm-hmm. sense that 
that that someone who is merely existing is less than or has not accomplished something in their life. Yeah. Um, now, with that said, I, I I of course desire that that all humans have um, have financial security and peace. But right. I just want to say that, like, I think we do have a retirement crisis. People are struggling to live. Um, there are there are things that can be done. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not convinced that the vehicle, uh, as as uh, you mentioned, I'm not convinced the yeah. vehicle is the problem. I okay. actually think the driver is the problem. Okay, this is just my personal responsibility uh, uh, take. Um, I I think that whatever the government does or whatever your company does is great. I'm I'm supportive mm -hmm. of them cultivating uh, new tools and new vehicles. But in my opinion, um, it is dangerous to rely on them to make the change. Sure. Uh, I, I think there's a lot that can be done at the level of the individual to transform your retirement and to transform your, your path. Um, mm. I, I think people are, are, are living moderately longer. I, I don't think that that has drastically changed over the ages, but I do think that people are healthier longer and are, mm -hmm. are doing more things later in life. I also think the use of debt has exploded uh, and, and so I think that has warped our understanding of what is normal or what is uh, what the Joneses have. And so we find ourselves uh, comparing ourselves and our situation of life. And it, it can be very skewed. Uh, I remember uh, I watched a Vice documentary a couple of years ago about uh, people in, in Miami who will, you know, save up for a month to rent the Lamborghini for one night, you know, <laughs> hours of Lamborghini rental to oh, man. strip just so people see them in a Lamborghini. And that, that is a problem, but that is a, that is a personal problem. That is not a retirement vehicle or, mm -hmm. or issue that can be fixed with uh, a new plan or a new retirement uh, structure. So I think, I think lack of training, uh, lack of mm -hmm. knowledge, lack of discipline. I think those things are what I see um, are, are big challenges to, to retirement in, in the country. Okay. And yeah, Lars, go ahead. Yeah. So, um, and you know, for the most part, we're on the same page with this dusty, but yeah. I just get to <laughs> press you here. Um, <laughs> as a friend. um, so, you know, I like to run marathons, but I don't often like to train for marathons. So, you know, um, I kind of see, uh, retirement. It's like, it's way out there, just like my marathon that's coming up in two months. Or, and, uh, but today, I got to do the discipline of getting on the treadmill or getting out and running. And that's kind of what you're talking about. But uh, we're fallen, sinful. You know, we're as Christians and as pastors, we, we kind of know this. There's sin. There's a there's mm -hmm. something going on. There's broken. We're not capable of really being the true image bearers of God we were created to be initially. Um, so what do you say to that kind of idea that we're, you know, I'm a broken individual and. I, I don't do a good job of saving. I don't, I'm not disciplined. Um, I want to be, but I'm just not. And I, I guess I would be curious what, how, what you would say to that idea of like, is there a, is there a corporate responsibility of, you know, our churches? Is there, is there something that's saying, yeah, I, I know that Dusty is disciplined, but I can't, always expect Lars to be disciplined and am I responsible to do something even though Lars isn't going to you know in, in many ways I think about it this way it's like if I give Lars a stipend and say Lars here's a thousand bucks spend it wisely one of the things I'd encourage you to do is go out and get a health insurance plan I can't I'm not going to buy you a health insurance plan but I'm going to give you a thousand bucks and hope you go find good health insurance but Lars can pocket that money and go buy a Jeep Wrangler, you know, am I as a church maybe responsible to say, I'm not just going to trust that Lars is going to be good discipline. I'm going to buy Lars a health insurance plan because I think for his health and by, and so retirement comes in there as a, as a vehicle. Um, what do you, what do you think about that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I, I think a couple of different things. I, uh, I, I love the, the phrase that a, a rising tide lifts all ships. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think um, in, in this scenario, I think that there is a societal uh, good that is accompanied by us collectively pursuing and support, 
supporting the well-being of others. I, I'm fully supportive of that. Um, I, I hold that in one hand, and in the other hand, I hold the just simple reality that I cannot rely on someone else to do it for me because they might not. Um, and uh, and so I think there's a balance there. And so in my personal life, like I I I'm an advocate for you know companies or elders. Um, the government, I'm an advocate for them creating better vehicles. I'm not opposed mm -hmm. to that. I take advantage of the vehicles that exist, right? So I'm thankful for the retirement options I've had in my ministry job and uh, and the Roth IRA and tax deferred accounts. Like, that's awesome. I'll, I'll, I'll use it if they create it. Mm -hmm. um, but I also think that there's, uh, there, there's some personal responsibility that um, that comes into play here. And I want to be someone who is to the greatest extent that I can be is in charge of my future. And I have a personal commitment to try to support that and others as well. So I, I don't necessarily think I'm not saying that I think it's wrong that, you know, that uh, that we create systems. Like I said, I use them. I benefit from them. Um, but but I, I would not hold that hope that someone else will do it for me. Right. No, totally. Totally. Awesome. Awesome. Um, switching gears to the DIY from the DIY retirement crisis to, to Ramsey's advice. Yeah. Um, so based upon my research, it, it seemed like Ramsey's advice almost correlated with what Giller Tucci was saying, Hey, don't do that. So do you think Ramsey's advice for accumulating retirement assets is, is only for the rich, um, like the top 10%, or and not so much a good approach for pastors in the American DIY retirement crisis because often mo majority of pastors don't have a low salary and they aren't considered to be in that higher echelon of income. Uh, it's a good question. Um, my anecdotal experience is that you know I started out eighty five thousand dollars in student loan debt and within a decade had become a millionaire, mm -hmm. and that was simply by following Dave Ramsey's system. Okay. I'm not a Dave Ramsey ambassador. I don't get paid mm -hmm. by Dave Ramsey. I uh, I don't even necessarily uh, love his style all the time. But mm. uh, I, I think that the system is a structure of discipline. And, uh, and so I think I, I would actually say that I think his system is designed for the poor. Uh, I, I actually okay. think that, okay. Interesting. that the, the structure and system is, is designed for low-income earners to make incremental steps um, that that hack your psychology, um, recognizing that money is not just uh, logical, but there are there are uh, emotional elements to, to finances and mm -hmm. to utilize that to to help you build um, incrementally mm -hmm. um, over over time. And so yeah. um, I, I, I think it is definitely a DIY retirement uh, approach in that regard. So I, I totally mm -hmm. get why uh, the other author, uh, you know, is is opposed to it, but I would also say that it is still utilizing, you know, um, retirement vehicles that are not necessarily simply DIY, right? Like I, I don't think it is it is it's not just make money. It is utilized utilized systems that exist as well. Mm -hmm. um, so that's just been my my personal experience with it. Uh, um, mm -hmm. Is that it it helps us find wealth? Okay. That's great. That's awesome. Lars, any follow-up to that, man? Yeah. I mean, we've talked and with Teresa Gillarducci, one of the observations was, yeah, do a budget every month. Right. Mm -hmm. And she talked a little bit about how there's that shame uh, that then can drive you into just kind of ignoring uh, your spending habits and things can get out of control if you don't kind of bring that up close. And I think that's, if I have one really supportive uh, vision of the the envelopes and of the kind of the uh, making sure that every dollar is accounted for and the lack of debt, you know, cutting up the credit cards. It's dramatic at times. And, you know, for me, I haven't found it useful that way. Um, maybe I'm a little more financially savvy, though, and because I got an accounting degree. So um, but what I did find and what's been true in my life is the is the years that my wife and I have had a budget every month where we're tracking expenses. And uh, that has been when we've been the best, uh, you know, we've had our best financial times. And so I think that's the thing that I would, I would encourage people to look at is like whatever system you're using, whether it's Dave Ramsey or some other system, 
if it doesn't have a monthly budget, mm-hmm. it's probably not going to help you. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so, you know, then, then we can argue about uh, some of the investment vehicles and advice later. But I, I think I agree with you, Dusty, that um, sometimes Ramsey's approach and others, uh, we can argue about their investment vehicles and some of their advice that they get going down the road. But the initial system, the let's keep our finances in front of us and track our, our income and expenses, um, that's just good business sense. And, yeah. um, and it's really, really, really wise. And it again, it removes that ability for shame um, and uh, keeps you kind of grounded. So, uh, yeah, I agree. Agree with that. I, I think um, I would ask, you know, so with the Ramsey approach and, and financial piece, um, what are what's one thing you're uncomfortable with, Dusty, with it? Um, or maybe it's down the road. Maybe it's not in the initial stuff. But what's one thing that you've found um as you followed Ramsey or as you've had other people in your life use the, the financial peace model. Um, Cause it's taught a lot in Christian circles. It's offered mm-hmm. at churches a lot. What's one thing you would say, Hey, this, this I'm not so sure about, or I have a critique. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. Uh, I think one just simple reality is that it is a get rich, slow plan. And that is hard. Um, it is, it is hard you know, some of the clients I've worked with, or, or uh, I imagine people, you know, uh, when you're looking at uh, a low income, lots of debt, uh, mm-hmm. maybe some unfortunate circumstances, maybe sometimes poor spending habits can be both, right? Sometimes life happens and it's outside of your control. But when you are, when you are swamped in debt, uh, or a low income earner, the path is arduous, the path is long. And so mm-hmm. I, I think, it's not a critique necessarily of the Ramsey system per se, mm-hmm. but it's just a simple reality that for some people, uh, building wealth is, is lifelong, right? And, yeah. and they may never achieve what, what we call wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is just a simple reality. So I, I think one of the things that I do like about the system that isn't emphasized a month enough is actually what he titles his, uh, like the, the training uh, that they do in, in churches is financial peace. And so I think peace is different than wealth. Um, peace, when I work with clients talking about finances, sometimes peace comes through simply having a plan. And, and so I think that's a big element of, of my work and what I'm passionate about is helping people find peace um, through, through that, that journey, if that makes sense. Um, I'm also, uh, I, I'm not a, I'm not like, a, like I said, I don't get paid by Dave Ramsey. I, I'm totally down to <laughs> yeah. learn. Um, I, I love CrossFit. And one of the things I loved about CrossFit when they started the CrossFit games was they mm. were like, hey, if you do something else and you can come to CrossFit and beat us at the games, we'll start doing what you do. Right? Okay. That's it funny. Like, they weren't committed to their system. It was they just cultivated something that they think works. And mm-hmm. um, I don't know in the two decade or 15 years of CrossFit, I don't know if anyone has come from another you know, sport. I don't, I don't know if there've been any triathletes who've come to the CrossFit games and won the games. Right. Oh, interesting. Um, I think about that in this conversation, like I, I'm not committed to the Ramsey system. It has worked for us. I've seen it work for others as worked for some of my clients. Um, but I'm totally open to learning and, Mm -hmm. and, and new opportunities as well. Yeah. So that's a perfect segue into the next question, which is what are your thoughts about using life insurance for retirement income especially in light of like Ramsey's and the Wall Street Journal's disparagement of utilizing life insurance like Index Universal Life for retirement co- income. And then Doug Andrews and Patrick Kelly saying, hey, th- you should really be looking at this to be the foundation of your retirement planning in terms of financially. Yeah. Uh, well, I have to uh, acknowledge some of my ignorance here. I am not mm-hmm. super well versed in the mm-hmm. whole life insurance uh, mm-hmm. and life insurance world. I I yeah. absolutely would say that is not a uh, an area that I I feel super well trained in. Sure. Um, my my only um, experience or thoughts are hesitation, mm-hmm. um, and for sure that is informed by my 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 experience with Dave Ramsey and the mm-hmm. limited research that I've done to right. try to get a somewhat of an understanding uh, of that. I don't use 
use it as a as a tool myself. Um, mm -hmm. My my limited understanding is the high cost and and poor rate of return okay. make it not the optimal uh, tool. Okay. Um, I also and I would say maybe maybe the one of the things that concerns me the most is mm -hmm. that. I don't know anyone who recommends it who doesn't okay. also sell it. <laughs> right? And so yeah. I've never met anyone who doesn't sell some type of whole life insurance or, uh, or something like that, who, 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 who recommends it. Now, maybe they exist. I'm, I would love to meet mm -hmm. someone who, who does it and, and like is, 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 uh, a big fan, but I just right. personally, I, I haven't met anyone who's like, this is the best tool. And I don't sell it. Everyone right. I've met sells it. Yeah, there's uh, two organizations. One of them is Limra. I forget the other one that follows life insurance and in, uh, in terms of the number of policies every year. And they both say IUL is one of the or the hottest life insurance product over the course of the past 10 plus years, which is very interesting. So there seems to be some yeah. perceived value by others. Um, but it's the same thing. I never heard about it till I tried to sell it as a financial professional in training. Um, and whenever I would speak with others, client, potential clients on Zoom and tell them about it, they had never heard about it. So there was this, that initial like um, obstacle of like, I haven't, I don't know about it. So I'm comfortable with, uncomfortable with it because I had no clue what it is. And it is difficult to understand. And that's right. another roadblock yeah. as well. Even for me, a guy who's written on it now, 170 right. pages about it. I, it's still difficult for me to kind of like, okay, how can I explain this to somebody again? Yeah. 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 Well, and, and again, like I said, I'm totally down to learn. Um, I, I I acknowledge my limitation here. And when I talk with clients about this, I acknowledge that this is not my area of expertise. Um, but, uh, uh, but, but I think it's, it's an interesting concept based on what I read from your, your document yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, and if anybody wants to check it out, uh, there's Doug Andrew has a YouTube channel and it's with a ton of tons of videos talking about this concept and and that approach to uh, retirement income and, and investing in retirement. So check out Doug Andrew on YouTube if you're interested. You know, it's pretty easy. Just check him out there. Um, uh, Lars, any follow up uh, to, to that? No, I mean, again, I'm out of my depth when it comes to insurance mm -hmm. um, and those kind of things. I, I think the thing I always come back to is, is can you trust, uh, mm -hmm. the advisor? So yeah. where I would push, um, is it not all of us are going to be, you know, as self-disciplined and not of all of us need to get, um, a, you know, a master's degree or a certificate in, in business or finance. Um, I, I've been wrestling with this. What, what is good ministry preparation for pastors? Mm -hmm. uh, because my mix coming from an undergraduate in accounting and then getting my theology degree in seminary, um, you know, left me kind of wondering, is Bible college the right mode? Is, uh, is, are there are liberal arts universities actually training good pastors? Yeah. They're, they're maybe getting to deconstruct more than they need to, or, um, mm -hmm. And then on and on it goes, even in seminary, where at Fuller Seminary, there was over 50% of the graduating classes weren't going to work in traditional ministry. So, mm -hmm. you know, I just, I think from a, from an education standpoint, I agree with Ducci and others that we can't educate our way out of this crisis. Um, so, and, and for the broader public, I'm not 100% sure that financial education is the, is the goal, um, but discipline education. I, you know, that's where I think there's got to be kind of a, a mix, a, a crossfit of sorts that, um, that finds ourselves in there. Cause I think, you know, some of our spending habits, some of our bad discipline are connected to other forms of our uh, life habits. And so we've been talking a little bit in this conversation, Dusty, already about kind of the soul care uh, piece component of this, yeah. that this is good soul care as we're caring for pastors from the church standpoint. And I do think there's a responsibility, um, a corporate responsibility, maybe aspect in there, but the education for the individual comes in there. I don't know that it's, uh, you know, everybody has to go through a Dave Ramsey financial piece, but maybe it, maybe it is, maybe it's something more accessible like that than a master's degree in, in a, you know, master MBA or something. Um, I'd, I'd rather see that kind of gift mix of soul care that includes some financial things, includes some, 
you know, health, um, taking care of your body, mm-hmm. um, finding time. You know, I, I think we could talk a lot about time management skills in ministry too. Um, are you finding time for yourself and for the passions that keep you, keep you going? Um, that might solve a lot of these financial, we get ourselves into financial debt often chasing that piece you were talking about. Sure. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, as we wind down this conversation, cause I know, uh, uh, we don't have much more time. Um, what are some other streams of income that a typical Church of Christ pastor could reasonably pursue, let's say in a high cost of living area like California? Yeah, yeah, it's a great question. And I think this is where pastors, ministers really have a, a, a leg up on the game. Um, most ministry jobs that I know of have insane flexibility in comparison mm-hmm. to the general public. Um, mm-hmm. uh, not Maybe not true for all, but my, my experience of anyone who works in a ministry field, uh, all they would need to do is explain the situation to an eldership and make a reasonable request for some sort of schedule adjustment, whether that be coming in later uh, on some mornings or leaving earlier, uh, working different hours. Um, I, I think there's lots of room for flexibility for uh, additional streams of income. And I, I think we often go too highbrow. Um, meaning I think there's nothing wrong with a minister at a church delivering pizzas on, on a Thursday or Friday night. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, providing for your family is honorable, regardless of what the job title is or what you're doing. Um, being fiscally uh, wise is, is, is honorable. Um, yeah. Now, there might be better ways to do it than just delivering pizza. I think uh, I, I know of uh, people who I consider successful professionals who drive for Uber on the yeah. weekends um, yeah. or in the evenings. Uh, I know numerous people who uh, pursue side hustles on, on in various hobbies. Something I did throughout the decade of my, my work was, was teach fitness classes early in the morning. I would teach a 6.30 a.m. workout class a couple times a week, so I was able to make it to the office when I needed to be there. Yeah. Um, so I think turning your passion into a source of income is, is a great route. But I would say it really comes back to conveying the need to your eldership, to your leadership, um, expressing an understanding that maybe due to church's financial situation, they don't have a lot of flexibility in their budget. Um, so you're requesting the ability to, to seek additional uh, income streams. Um, yeah. Throughout my decade, I, I probably every day of 10 years, I had at least two to three different streams of income. Um, okay. I taught uh, adjunct at Pepperdine. I taught fitness classes. Um, I would pick up odd jobs on Craigslist. I would literally, uh, you know, drive. One time I drove a woman's urine sample to the (laughs) clinic uh, because she was paying me $25 an hour to to run errands for her, right? And I was Mm -hmm. a 27, 28-year-old professional with, at that point, you know, probably close to half a million dollars in retirement. And I was not above driving a urine sample, right? Mm-hmm. So I think I think there are there are opportunities to be to be intentional if if you look for them, and I think ministers have the the perfect job to do it. I know one thing I did when I was a seminary student is I donated blood plasma for like eighty bucks. Yeah, that was great. That's great. <laughs> I was like, score! I got to read and and make money. <laughs> yep, that's great. I love it. I love it. Um. Okay. And one of the final questions is, do you think it is wise for every pastor to have a financial advisor coach and, and why, and what can a pastor do if they can't afford one and what should churches do in that regard? Yeah. Well, my first response would be, I don't think ministers can afford not to have one. Right. I, I think mm. this is uh this is, this is a, a such a high impact um, investment um, that if you're not doing it, um, it will cost you more than it costs today to do it. So, now, now, with that said, I think there are a lot of different avenues to to approach that. Um, I think um, YouTube is a great resource. Uh, if you make building your your knowledge of finances your hobby, you can get a, a degree on YouTube basically on on wise financial management. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think connecting with a, a an actual advisor is wise. Um, I, I I work with a an Ed Jones advisor and have mm-hmm. uh, for the last decade, and she's been great. But what has been great about her is that she has the heart of a teacher. Uh, there's no question mm-hmm. that that she is unwilling to answer for me. She takes so much time explaining. So I would say that's really important. 
Um, but, but I also think uh, finding mentorship from people who have found financial success uh, mm. doesn't cost a dime. And so reaching right. out to people uh, saying, hey, it seems like you've got some things dialed in with your finances. How, what can I learn from you? Uh, that is that that is uh, everyone I know is willing to to help out others if asked from a, a place of genuine um, sincerity of, uh, of a desire to learn. So I think it doesn't necessarily have to be a, a paid situation, a lot of other opportunities. But I also think it's definitely worth the investment to do it. Right. OK. And Lars, any follow up on that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we we default to being the expert, right? We mm. default to to seeing our role in the congregation as the person who's dispensing knowledge or dispensing mm-hmm. care. And uh, I've mentioned the story before about the bedside of a pastor. Um, you know, you go to the bedside of dying congregants, but who's going to be at your bedside. And um, so you need to surround yourself with, with some people who are caring for you, uh, who are investing in you. And uh, you can't just be passive about that. Like, you know, just like you're pursuing those congregants um, or those youth group kids and you're calling them up, like who's, who's doing that for you? Well, you, you better be asking. Um, and, um, and so, yeah, I, I talked about kind of three key mentors um, that every pastor needs to have. And that, you know, I think you could even rotate that throughout the year. Are you in, in one year, have you talked to somebody who is kind of doing some counseling, um, pastoring for you and uh, and bearing your soul and then you should be talking to somebody at least reviewing your financial situation with them and that's a vulnerable thing just mm-hmm. find a trusted person to say this is my financial situation you know and and talking with them um, because that twenty thousand dollars in debt you may just be kind of thinking I'll pay for that eventually um, but you you know presenting that to somebody can call into question and they might be able to offer some insights um hey maybe you can deliver the pizzas you know i mean you may not have thought about it and that person could could coach you that way so and then then the other one um has to do with you know your uh your own uh education i I think always learning so you know if you if you're not going to a conference um but it's got to be more than just youtube and and stuff I, i think having that trusted person who's 10 years, you know, the old adage of 10 years ahead in your career path, who's teaching you um, things. Um, and uh, so, yeah, those, those three. And I, I think often pastors look for the two, the, the 10 years ahead in their career uh, education kind of thing. Maybe we have a conference that we're going to, that we go with our buddies um, or the, you know, the counselor, we we're more aware of mental health issues now than we've ever been. But I think financial coaching is one that pastors don't think about. And, um, mm. and I would put that in there as the kind of the three-legged stool. Yeah. It's good. I know I didn't think about that. I did take a class in undergrad at Fried Hardeman and I know we have a Fried Hardeman connection, but we never crossed yeah. paths there, but I don't remember a single thing except I, one thing I remember is like, I think they mentioned like the Bible mentions uh, more about money than it does about love and faith. I was like, Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. Um, but yeah, definitely could have uh, used financial coaching before moving into being a pastor, being a minister, and definitely still need it today. Yeah, so that's awesome. Dusty, I'm really glad that this is one of the uh, things you've chosen to do in your own life is is helping those uh, to pursue wealth and to therefore pursue thriving, especially in the last third of life. Is there any parting wisdom or advice for pastors and or churches on the matter of this topic of accumulating assets for retirement in this kind of crazy American context that Gilarducci calls the DIY retirement crisis? Yeah, well, um, I, I have maybe kind of two different veins. I say, you know, first for the, for the pastor, for the minister, the person kind of, uh, you know, in that role, I, I think um, this is your ship. Like you are the captain of your financial ship. I, um, ultimately, the responsibility lies with you. Um, and so I think the process of clarifying your destination, where, where do you want to be is, is critical. Um, and then charting the course, uh, what, what is the path that you're going to take to get there? Now, it might be leveraging um, new retirement vehicles. It might be exploring some DIY options. It might be taking on a side hustle, delivering pizza. Um, but whatever that, that path is, it's important to plot it out and actually have a plan. Mm-hmm. And then the, I would say the last thing is just like 
casting off the anchor and just going for it, right? Like it, 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 all systems require you to follow them for them to work. So whether you uh, rely on a, you know, a, a DIY path uh, or, or whether you rely on a, you know, a reformed pension system, whatever it is, mm-hmm. you still have to show up. You still have to do the work. I don't know anyone who has invested or saved who didn't first earn it. And so um, you have to earn it. Um, that's that's for the minister. I would say for churches, uh, we've got to do better, right? I mean, I think there we can do better. Uh, I think too often in churches of Christ, elderships are made up of business-minded, um, often and unfortunately, in my opinion, men um, all alone, and and they all have retirement packages. They all have uh, in their businesses and their jobs, and for some reason, that doesn't get transferred into ministers' salary packages often. And so I would say. Uh, if your leadership has it, then your minister should have it too. Uh, and so I think that that ministers should be advocates uh, for for or elders should be advocates for ministers uh, having strong um, uh, retirement packages, but also training and education should be built into the structure. Just like the job expectation requires you to preach on Sunday, there should be some expectation that you are meeting with a financial advisor. There could be financial support for that. Um, and then I would also say for for upper level staff, if you're thinking about a, a preaching minister or a senior minister, uh, my recommendation would that would be that you become the advocate for your uh, youth minister, your campus mm-hmm. minister, your uh, secretary or admin people. Uh, you should be their advocate. You should be their biggest cheerleader for their own financial uh, structure and sustenance. Um, you should advocate uh, on their behalf with the elders to make sure that they are getting retirement, that they're getting uh, sabbaticals, that they're getting uh, retirement packages that 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 are helping them um, not not hit a retirement crisis. So that's kind of the the approach I would I would take. Okay, great, 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 Lars. Any uh, farewell thoughts? Yeah, well, thanks, Dusty, for uh, going. Uh, through this time with us and, and and really I think inspiring I think that's what I love about your work you and Cecily um, sometimes your adventures seem uh, you know big and grandiose and other times they're you know trips and and you're just sharing the nitty-gritty and and so I just love how you inspire us um, you know with a 10-year uh, paying off your debt and then becoming a millionaire, and then also saying, "I'm going to carry P to the, you know, I'm going to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to be that person who's willing to discipline and and go there." And and so I, I appreciate how you inspire me, continue to inspire me, um, and uh, and inspire others uh, to to really put on discipline and experience the corresponding freedom. So appreciate you today and uh, and always. Um, this is like our third podcast together, man. This is fun. <laughs> well, I appreciate you guys. And I think this is such an important conversation and feel honored to be involved. And uh, I look forward to to seeing where this goes and how it can uh, support ministers in their journey. We appreciate it, Dusty. And we appreciate you for joining us once again today in episode four. And for our viewers and listeners, uh, be stay tuned for uh, at least 16 episodes uh, to come out over the course of the next couple of months. Again, uh, we are just getting started here, and we hope that you are finding value in uh, in this project that we're tr- seeking to uh, undertake with the Almost Essential Podcast. Thank you guys for watching, and we'll see you later. Once again, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Almost Essential Podcast. If you like what you heard and you want to reach out, you can connect with me, Jordan Koss, on Facebook or Instagram. We hope this series is a valuable resource for you, pastor or otherwise. And remember, you are not almost essential. Your role and service in the church is essential, as well as saving for retirement within your holy vocation and calling.